Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Tom and Janet, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And it's Thanksgiving week and running the board for us today is the ever thankful John Dunn. Answering the phones is DJ Spaceship. If you want to join our conversation anytime today, give us a call at 813-239-9663. DJ Spaceship will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Our guest today is Stanley Gray, CEO and President of the Urban League of Hillsborough County. A graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, he spent 11 years in the Marine Corps and was the first African-American reconnaissance company commander. After returning, retiring as a human resources consultant, he is focused on reviving Tampa's Urban League, which had been dormant for many years. In 2019, Stanley and other community partners launched a new chapter of the Urban League, of Hillsborough County, and in 2021, it became one of 90 affiliates of the National Urban League, which serves 300 communities in 37 states and the District of Columbia. The Urban League focuses on economic empowerment and recently received a $300,000 grant from the Department of Labor to assist in developing the local workforce. The Hands Up program will provide 25 people with paid 17-week pre-apprenticeship opportunities. Welcome to Wavemaker, Stanley. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, Stanley, last week um, you spoke at a police forum in Ybor City, which I also attended, uh, held in the aftermath of a mass shooting at 3 o'clock in the morning that left two people dead and 18 injured. One of the dead was a 14-year-old with a gun. In the immediate aftermath, there were calls by City Councilwoman Gwen Henderson, Ybor developer Daryl Shaw, and even a former mayor to close bars in Ybor at 1 a.m. instead of 3. The City Council decided against that but is still considering a curfew for juveniles. At last week's forum, people said uh, something needs to be done about the proliferation of guns on the streets and unsupervised young people. What do you think needs to happen? Well, I don't think there's just one solution for this problem. But the real big concern that I have is that we seem to be going away from accountability. Um, When you talked about a curfew, I actually grew up in a neighborhood where we did have curfews. And in our present political climate, I would like to try to equate a curfew with what happened with the bicycles. If someone looks suspicious, you stop them. Well, when you do your adverse impact analysis, you find that there are more younger-looking African-Americans than they are whites. And, they, and, and to further that, I used to say, I understand why you're, why you're stopping these people, but you don't stop anybody riding a bike on Bayshore. So I'm kind of away from... The, the issue of, of a curfew. What I would like to see is parents held accountable for their kids. Uh, if your child is, is out late at night, doesn't matter when, not just at night, but if your child is doing something wrong, you should be held accountable because you're the parent. That, unless that child's been emancipated, I think the parent should be brought into this. Because when you're trying to affect change, I've found that change is more often affected in a long way when you start at the top as opposed to the bottom. Well, that's certainly the, the way it is in the military. I grew up in an Army family, and uh, it was drilled into me. You get out of line, you're going to be in trouble, but so is your dad. So we tried to, you know, keep our nose clean. But how do you enforce a, a juvenile curfew, though? That's my whole point. 
I don't think that it could be enforced equitably and fairly. Uh, and, and what I'm saying is that why would it only be uh, in place in Ybor City? Are you going to do it in South Tampa? Are you going to do it after football games at Plant? I mean, if we're not going to do it equally throughout the city, let's don't do it. But I do think that we can enforce accountability on the parents. How do you do that, though? Said individual gets picked up. Then I think what should happen is that you should bring the parents into the equation. Why aren't you supervising this child? If that means that you bring the Department of Children and Family Services in it, so be it. But my point is, is that parents are responsible and accountable for their children until they're adults. And I think that as a, as a society, we need to enforce that principle. Now, will that alone fix this? No, it probably won't. Okay, but the fact that, you know, I seem to feel like a lot of people are saying that this problem, a, a lot of the source of this problem is the kids stealing guns. Yeah, that's part of it. But I think there's a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is, is how easy it is to get a gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, we seem to be loosening up the laws. We seem to be loosening up the regulations. And the fact that you can now get a gun or propose to get a gun without having to be registered, et cetera, et cetera, that means that you probably know nothing about gun safety and you're not even having an opportunity to learn anything about it. Mm-hmm. So that moves us from uh, parental responsibility to gun ownership responsibility. I think that, there, like as I said from the beginning, there are many components to this. Right. But I think that now is the wrong time to be loosening up regulations with respect to guns. Well, one of the things I found interesting about last week's forum was there was very little. There were, there were some comments about the concentration of bars in Ybor City, and that's been an issue for you know, 30 years. And it was done consciously by the city council. Um, and, and now you know, we've, we've seen you know, what happens when you have that many bars. But people were kind of widening the aperture and, and trying to talk about other issues that they felt needed to be addressed that aren't being addressed, such as helping uh, young people, trying to get them engaged, trying to keep them busy, trying to keep them in school. Um, any thoughts on well, that? You know, it's, I find it really interesting. Uh, you talked about a grant that we received. And, you know, we're very happy and we're very hopeful with that. But one of our greatest problems, that is the Urban League of Hillsborough County, is finding people who really want to improve their lot. Um, you know, because we pay what one of the things that our programs do is we're trying to establish economic, uh, not only economic equity, but economic self-worth. So we pay our individuals starting at $16 an hour. We don't work with any company that after the person has gone through the pre-apprentice program, the appropriate apprentice programs, and the, and the, 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 the internal politics of organizations, they have to promise within a year pay somebody $20 an hour. And most of the people that we get in our programs, within a year, they're making between forty-five and fifty-something thousand dollars a year. Our hardest problem is finding people who want to improve themselves. And you know that that there's a lot of reasons for that. But the point is, is that that's our obstacle. It's not so much finding companies that want to engage and that will bend their rules and their policies. It's finding the people who will actually commit to doing the work. We had an individual who a year and a half ago was making twelve dollars an hour being a laborer, cutting grass, and working on construction sites. We put the person through a pre-apprentice program, got him an internship, got a job offer for $56,000 a year. Those are the kinds of success stories that we can have when people are willing to commit. And our program is not off the shelf. We customize it to every individual who is willing to work. And the goal is to have 25 uh, people. uh, That's our goal. Annually. That's our goal, annually. And, and are they, um, is there, what's the age range of folks that you're looking for? Our primary focus 
is 16 to 24. However, we don't turn anybody away. We don't turn anybody away. 16 to 24. And, and these are people who are looking for apprenticeship jobs in what types of companies? Or well, they, uh, who, what the, what is, kind of companies are you partnering with? Again, we, we do things a little differently. We try to find out what the person is interested in and then what they're qualified to do. And then we take those two things and then we go find the appropriate opportunity for them. Like I said, it's, it's not like we have company X that says, well, I have 15 slots. Go find me 15 people. That's not how we work. And the reason why is that we want somebody to be committed. We don't want them to you know, feel like they're square and they're going into a round. No, we want them uh, the square on the square. We want them mm-hmm. to be committed to this. It takes a little bit longer, but we find that it works. Another thing that we do, and this, maybe this scares people away, but we do our intake uh, interviews, our initial intake interviews, on Saturdays between 8 and 9 o'clock in the morning. And, our, and it's done very purposely. If you really are serious, you'll get up and you'll come to this interview. Yep. Yeah. And so are you struggling to fill those uh, 25 annual slots? It's a battle along with the battle to get money. But we are focused on quality. That's what we're focused on. We want to help people who are really willing to change the, the, tra- excuse me, the trajectory of their lives. And we do wraparound services. We work with other not-for-profits to help them. If transportation is an issue, we can work with that. If child care is an issue, we can work with that. If elder care is an issue, we can work with that. We've even been able to find housing for people. That's great. Um, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Stanley Gray. He's the president and CEO of the Urban League of Tampa. Hillsborough County. Urban League of Hillsborough County. Um, and we've got a, a caller on the line. If you want to join a conversation or have some thoughts about um, the solution to some of the issues that Ybor City is having, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. Right now we have Josh on the line. Josh from Tampa, you are on the line. Tell us what's up, what's on your mind. Hi, Janet, and uh, hi, uh, Mr. Gray. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate you all. Thanks for calling. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to call and thank you for the hard work that you're doing um, to try to address some of these issues. I I know it's not easy, and it's not a new problem. Um, One of the reasons I'm calling is just because, uh, you know, I just started a a new nonprofit. I'm a new nonprofit person. (laughs) And... uh, my nonprofit um, was inspired by about a decade ago. We were having the same problem. We were having um, Ebor being blamed as the scapegoat for a lot of the violence that was emerging in the area. And the the Gabor district came together and they did a thing called Pianos and Ebor. They put pianos all over Ebor mm-hmm. for just a couple months. And from I spoke with Kerry West, and from what he told me, it was pretty successful. And uh, I noticed that they, we haven't had pianos in a while, so I decided we should change that. And, uh, you know, so I just started a nonprofit to put pianos all over campus, starting with Ebor. Um, and people have asked me, Don't, are you worried they're going to get vandalized, they're going to get destroyed? And I'm like, no, I think if you show people that you value them and you care about the community, you care about their creativity, you want to give them something to do, something, a fun way to express themselves, that I believe that they'll take advantage of that and they'll, you know, uh, respect that uh, and so i did put one piano out there so far hasn't been hurt or anything <laughs> how long ago did you put it out just about a, a month or so a few months ago um but they they had the shooting happened and they had to bring it back inside because of some code enforcement concerns but i do intend to get it decorated and painted painted by artists uh from tampa 
and have it put back out on the street so that people can play it. And the short time that it was out there, you know, it's right next to 7th and Grove. We've got people from all walks of life, all races, colors, genders, and, you know, ages enjoying it, which I think is great. Um, but I just, you know, and as a new nonprofit, I would just want to say that I'm personally inspired by what the Urban League is doing. I would love to partner with the Urban League and see what we can do. But uh, I, I just, I firmly believe that in addition to what Mr. Gray has been talking about, um, you know, fostering the arts, giving people things to do in public that's entertaining and constructive and uh, community-oriented, I think that that's the solution. Because from what I've been hearing, a lot of the problem is, and I hate to say it, but there's been stories on NPR saying sometimes kids are just bored. Right. So give them something to do so that they're not hanging out in parking lots and drinking on a weekend night. Maybe have them play a piano that's randomly there. Why not? You know, um, Stanley, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts on that? that? One of the things that you said that I think is very important, I think one of the problems we have in our community is that we have too many singular focus not-for-profits. And and what I mean by that, and, and I'm not trying to like, you know, pat our philosophy or rationale on the back, but what everything that we try to do is we try to have two measures. Is it hands up and is it collaborative? And the reason why we want to collaborate with other people or other organizations is because one and one is never two. It's an exponential number of two. And, and I think that as long as like your philosophies or your mission, you know, coexist, I think collaboration is the way to do it. I also believe, again, this is, this is just my belief, okay? I believe that the way that we're giving out monies to organizations is wrong. I think that, you know, like the, the powers that be, both government as well as, you know, uh, civic organizations, um, foundations, I think that they should start insist on collaboration with not-for-profits. Because what happens is, is that when you don't collaborate, you end up just serving a portion of, of the community when the problem is in the whole community. So like if you had, you know, two not-for-profits collaborating, you're going to serve more of the community. And I think that that's where we need to start looking at things again. But that's my personal belief. All right. Um, thanks for the call, Josh. Any thoughts, additional thoughts? Well, I just want to say not only do I agree with that, that's kind of why I kept my nonprofit broad. By the way, if you're interested, it's called Tampa Tunes, and uh, it's arts and culture. So we want to keep it broad so that we can involve tons of different arts and culture organizations and, and not just constrain it to, to pianos. But, you know, like I said, I, I really admire what Mr. Stanley Gray is doing here with the, the Urban League, and I appreciate you all providing him a platform today on Wavemakers. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with that. The more collaboration, the, the better. And the, everybody, you know, rising tide raises all ships. That's right. Thanks. I, I appreciate the congratulations, but I want you to know that this is not a Stanley thing. This is our board of directors, um, our, two, our employees, uh, our members, and our contributors. This has definitely been uh, a community effort. This is not you know, a Stanley thing. So please, let's take that out of the equation. All right. Yes, <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for the, for the call, Josh. Josh. Um, and we also have Janet in Tampa on the line. So Janet in Tampa. It's a great what, name. That's a great name. What's on your mind, Janet? I'm sorry. My name is Connie. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's also a great name, Connie. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, we've had a host of profit, nonprofit organization do- dealing with this whole social issue. Uh, it's becoming a money bank for many of those organizations. And unfortunately, a hard-handed approach uh, has not won us anything. Uh, 
blaming parents when parents in our communities are straddled with just trying to uh, provide the basic shelter. But nobody looks at the full approach on how to help the entire family. So if we're not looking at the dynamics of the entire family, just pulling that child out or that community and then the child having to come back to a community that's uh, suffering with a whole bunch of social ills, we're going to keep on having these problems. And that is the problem, is that many people that are uh, forming these nonprofits on these boards, uh, they don't have a clue because they are so disconnected from real reality. They know how to write a wonderful grant, but they really have a disdain for the people in a certain kind of way. That's why the beginning of their dialogue is always settled with some form of retribution, discipline, or punishment. Thank you. Uh, so, Stanley, what do you think about that? Well, Thank you for the I, call, I can, Connie. I can understand what she's saying, but I guess, you know, all of our lives are influenced now by how you were brought up. Um, again, and I've told people before that I feel that I am especially blessed because there are not many black boys who, and I was a boy at six years old, who was adopted into a black family. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was born illegitimately. I lived in a form of black welfare and black foster care system. I lived with family and friends of family for the first six years of my life. Uh, when I was adopted into this family, I, I, my father was, some people would say he was mean. The truth of the matter is he was structured and focused and I was his project. <laughs> and I bought into what he said, okay? I bought into it from the, from the very first meal that I had, which was a broiled hamburger, uh, with mayonnaise, mustard, and relished. And I said, whatever he says do, I'm doing. Now, I've gone back and I've looked at all my, looked up all my biological relatives. With the exception of one, all my biological male relatives have one thing in common. They've been into prison. I'm sorry, I believe the way I do, because my father told me a couple things. One is, life's not fair, get over it. He taught me the value of work. And he also taught me the value of delayed gratification and living within my means. Now, life has not been an easy street for me, okay? But at the same time, I had the guidance. And so what I expect is I expect people who, and, and our program is designed this way, and I'm not defending it. What we do is, is that we don't work with just the child. We have an interview with the child's parent to try to figure out what they can and what they can't do. And the best way that I could probably explain this is, is our summer intern programs, because the same thing. We try to find out what the kid is interested in, what kind of wraparound services do we have to provide to make sure that that's a good, meaningful experience. And we get the parents buy into it. And from there, you know, we go on. We have one kid last summer who worked for us in our summer program, and he did such a good job that when he goes to college, the company that he worked for, they're going to hire him. They're, they're, there's all kinds of ways to do things. And I'm not just speaking to you, Connie, but I just know one that's worked for me. And I know one that's worked for the kids that I've been involved with. Um, the other day, someone had a real spiff on, on Facebook because I said that maybe kids should, should start working. Well, I can tell you right now, there are kids in the NFL who have worked with me in the summers. So I guess I believe in that. Um, we've got a couple more callers on the line. Um, thanks for the call, Connie, and thanks for that response, Stanley. We've got um, Javon from Seminole Heights on the line. Javon, uh, what's on your mind? 
Um, one, I just want to also um, say thank you to the, everybody at the Urban League, not only here in, in Tampa, but um, across the country where they do tremendous work. Um, I think one, uh, one we need the we need the business community to really start engaging in a different way. And by the business community, I mean you know even small business owners and you know upstart entrepreneurs. I think we need to organize around our around our economics in the same way that we organize around our politics. Like when black, brown, disenfranchised communities really start, really were able to organize successfully around the, the politics in this country, we have been able to see tremendous growth. We've not kind of taken that same um, opportunity necessarily to organize around our economics, um, to have businesses that are more inclusive, that believe in ownership and equity and things for the people who do the work. And we're seeing a resurgence of that now with the labor movements and things. But um, second to that, I also think we need we need better and more accountability from our government, our local system, to really invest in the programs that work and to not just always bend over and give everything to developers and, you know, to, you know, those who are waving around dollar signs or, or buckets of cash to, um, you know, to give, to give away everything versus... Um, you know, like I say, it's the people that make this community great. So, um, you know, I, I just want to encourage, you know, folks to think about investing in, um, not only the small businesses and the kinds of businesses that are hiring people who are coming through, um, urban league programs, but also to make sure that our politics align with our economic values because some, because unfortunately too often they don't. Okay. Javon, thanks for the call. Any thoughts on that, Stanley? Javon, I really like what you said because one of the things that we're trying to do is really get community participation. And I would encourage you to look at our our website, www.ulhc.org, and you'll see the companies that are contributing and being a part of our our processes. Uh, I'll tell you that for the most part, all of our summer internships, uh, the companies that, that have hosted our kids are African-American or minority-owned companies, and we've done that very purposefully. Well, I, I do want to bring up one point. <clears throat> he, John makes a great point about wanting Thanks companies for the call, uh, that are committed to equity and inclusion, diversity. But diversity, equity, and inclusion has become kind of a dirty phrase among Republicans. Our governor is trying to get rid of it in all of our universities um, constantly uh, criticizing it as being woke ideology. Um, and I know you're a former Republican, now an independent. What, how do you, did, did you ever think we'd come to the point? Well, well, I do. I, I, it, doesn't surpri- it doesn't surprise me where we're at. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was a registered Republican, but I can also tell you that, you know, I'm a capitalist. Okay. But I consider myself a human humanitarian capitalist. Uh, I am still fairly conservative with a lot of, you know, fiscal uh, issues. But for me, as a person, not even as an African-American person, I think that when you start negating portions of your workforce, I think that you are initiating a downward spiral, a downward spiral. Um, I think that the governor has said what he has, and this is my opinion, just for sound bites, pure, plain, simple. Because when he goes to court, he gets kicked out. But there's another problem. And this is where, as a society, I don't see any outrage. If I'm correct, and please someone correct me if I'm incorrect, um, a couple weeks ago, the University of South Florida uh, had a seminar on Irish Americans. But you can't have a seminar on African-Americans. What's wrong with that? That's wrong. 
and why is that? What's going on? Well, because what he's doing is, is and, and not just himself, they're preying on the fears of people. The truth of the matter is, is that there are people in this, in this nation who are trying to set themselves up to be in power even when they are going to be the numerical minority, pure, plain, simple. And they were very smart in doing it. What they did is they went to attack the judicial system. I mean, how could you put somebody on the Supreme Court who's never tried a court, court case? Why would you put somebody on the Supreme Court who has questions of character? They've done those things for a reason, and they're, and they're executing them. Now, the problem is, is that Jane and Joe, private citizen, we have all kinds of reasons why we're not going to vote. And guess what? You're letting those people win. Uh, we've got um, uh, Leela, who is from Brandon, who's been hang- patiently waiting on the line to ask a question. So we're going to go to her. If you have a question and want to join a conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. Leela, thanks so much for waiting. You are on the line. What's on your mind? Well, as a, um, a not-for-profit for the last 15 years in Brandon, and after having never received um, donations from the county government, even though I applied for grants on three different occasions, I feed a lot of people. And that's to the tune of about 500 pounds of food a week and maybe 600 pounds a week. Our county commission, it was so rude to me a couple weeks ago, we met, and uh, I was astounded by the 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 county commission representatives from everybody from the assistant county administrator to the county administrator that I met with, who I thought was my county representative. And I was treated very badly. I simply wanted to save a green space in Brandon that would allow us to have an oak tree canopy, passive park, and protect the land forever. I feed the homeless. I'm on the reentry board. I know all about the prison system. I know all about now we've got to put a lot of money into the prisons for no air conditioning being in place. I did the architectural renditions for trying to get the homeless off the street uh, in 2010 with Catholic Charities. I did the alternative plan. It would have housed 640 people immediately. But again, because I'm a woman and because I don't go along with the give out of money to Metropolitan Ministries and all these huge organizations that might make a difference, and I know they do, but the little guys are doing the trench work, and, the tr- you know, it's there, and that's part of our breakdown of society is we see so much greed, and the greed is what's running the county right now, and he's right. The person that spoke before, the developers are getting everything they want. While we're losing all of our green spaces, we're not providing housing for the homeless, and we're spending $59 million a year to house our homeless in our jail system. We're number one in recidivism. And we're having a huge problem with um, wrapping our head around that because no one's talking about the dirty secrets of Hillsborough County. Well, Leela, thanks for the, the call. I appreciate it. Um, Stanley, do you have any words of wisdom for Leela, who's um, a, a small nonprofit trying to get assistance from the county? You know, one of the things that I'll tell you that, that I believe that the Urban League um, went out of business for a couple of reasons. One is, is that it had an over-reliance on government money grants. And the other is, is that it really didn't have a lot of community support. And those are the two major reasons. But since I've been at this, I realized another reason is that they didn't collaborate with any other not-for-profits. So what I would ask is that you look around for the not-for-profits that can support what you're doing and you can support what they're doing and partner up. Because it is much easier when you try to go to get a grant from the, the county or the city or even the federal government if you're collaborating with somebody because you're reaching a wider swath. 
And I would really encourage that you do that. Um, and, and I will tell you also that we have spent a lot of time in trying to get community support. I mean, almost, I was on a call yesterday with our national and I verbally got chastised because we didn't have, uh, we didn't fit their formula for local foundations and, and local governments. Well, we have some monies, but that's not what we're trying to do. Our strategic plan is to be aligned with our community partners, our community organizations, foundations. And it takes longer because when you start off with a concept and then you start executing, only when you execute will you get partners. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do for the long. So if you're interested, I mean, I'll, I'll share, see if we have some commonalities, but I'll also share how we did it. And I'm not saying that how we did it is the right way. I'm just saying it, it was how we planned to do it and how we executed it and how we'll continue to do it. Alila, send your contact information to dj at wmnf.org and we will send it, um, forward that to Stanley. Um, we have an email from David Bryant. David Bryant, who is a frequent, um, who is a, a regular listener and frequent contributor to the show. Um, he asks, um, I was curious about your guest take on the Orlando Urban League and the former director, Glenn um, Gilzian. Glenn is now in charge of the DeSantis Created Oversight Board at Disney. Um, and um, David says he thinks Gilzian is kind of sketchy. Um, he tried to give a no-bid sweetheart deal to a friend for a 911 services contract. I don't know if you know him. or well, yeah, One you're... of the problems with Stanley Gray is that if you ask him something, he'll tell you what he thinks. <laughs> Pure, plain, simple. Um, I had some personal issues w- with, with Glenn. And what I'm talking about is what is he really dedicated towards? Uh, probably about four or five months ago, he wrote a letter to the editor uh, in the Orlando newspaper, basically uh, approving everything that our governor wanted to do with respect to um, DEI, uh, with with you know stopping you know the the teaching of Black history. And I'm about seventy percent published when I write a letter to the editor. I went to our CEO and I said, it's not appropriate for me to do this. It's not that I'm afraid of the 30% no, but I think this needs to be a national. And our CEO, uh, Mark Morell, he wrote a letter and it was published. And it basically says that if that's his policy, that's his policy, but it's not the National Urban League's policy. I think that sometimes what happens is, is that, you know, I think diversity is a great thing. But I also believe that in certain roles, you have to feel in your heart a certain way. I mean, it's just like, you know, like every day I come home and I talk to my wife and she says, how was your day? And I say, full of no's. <laughs> okay. And, if, and, and maybe it's because of my own example or like, you know, like I told you all the day that I ate that hamburger and I said, whatever this man says do, I'm going to do. I'm searching for those highs, you know, because last week I got a call from a kid again, another one who I fought with for about three years. He didn't start paying attention to me until he was a sophomore in college. Um, He just had a baby, he's married, and he just bought his second investment property. This is a kid who got kicked off of Plant High School's football team his 11th grade. Uh, We literally argued and fought for probably three and a half, four years before he started paying attention to me. My goal is to touch one kid, one person, in a permanent manner every year. Now, with this organization, I think we should be able to do more than that. But when I get that example of a Walner Leandre, that fuels me. That fuels me. And it fuels me to do the ways, the things I do. And that is, is to try to teach kids accountability and to work for what they get as opposed to expect a handout. That's just the way I feel. 
We're talking to Stanley Gray, who is the president and CEO of the Urban League of Hillsborough County. Um, we will be right back after um, this little break um, to recognize uh, the underwriter of W of, of Wavemakers and um, some of the other great programming on the station. Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you okay. and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. If you love classic soul, R&B, Caribbean, gospel, hip-hop, or house music, and if you love podcasting and exclusive interviews, if you love urban culture and urban music, then you will really love the Urban Cafe channel. You can find it here on HD2. If you have an HD2 radio, or you can go to WMNF.org and download our mobile app so that you can listen to it all the time. So, Stanley, you mentioned something uh, just a little bit ago that I wanted to follow up on, which is apathy. And the political atmosphere uh, is um, kind of leading to apathy. What, what, uh, can well, you I expand think, on that a little bit? I think the apathy is by design. And if you really want to understand it, the genesis of it, uh, go back into the 1930s with Mussolini. Watch how what they did. What they did is they, what he did in his administration, they strung a string of absurdities to the point where his people said, oh, well. And then you want to see somebody who mastered it even better. Look at Hitler. Right now, what we're he seeing... He was his role model, after all. Oh, yeah. Mussolini was his role model. And it flipped. But you look at what happened in the, in the past administration. You had a president who continually lied. No argument about that. Absurdities to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And so now what happens is people don't, they just disconnect. I mean, and I'll give you myself as an example. I forced myself to watch the news mm -hmm. because, of, because there's so much going on, I say, I just can't handle this. Yeah. But then what happens is I don't know what's going on. I won't be able to speak with facts. Now, I hear something on the news, then I go, I go research it, okay? But my point is, is that because I don't want to be in that crowd, I force myself to watch the news and then I force myself to go research to find my truth. I'm not saying it's the truth, but it's my truth. That's so yeah. interesting. The New York Times just did a story uh, about a, a county in Wisconsin, which is kind of a swing county. And, and, and that's exactly what they found is people are tuning out. It's all just overwhelming. And so one result is they're not even paying attention to some of the successes that have been happening under the Biden administration. And so they think he hasn't done anything. I mean, and it's, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, like the other day, um, Sunday, we, we went out to brunch and we were waiting to, to, to leave. And this person was telling me, I'm not going to vote for Party X because Party X hasn't given me anything to vote for other than they don't like Party Y. I listened to that and I'm saying this is an exact example of what you're talking about. It's apathy. And it's willful apathy. I mean, you know, it's just like, like, I'll give you a good example. I don't know why any senior citizen in the state of Florida does not vote. And I especially don't understand why any senior citizen in the state of Florida who lives in a mobile home park doesn't vote. They are changing the legislation that basically is going to give people the right that is an owner to close the place down with very little. Now, so what happens now? You have like a mobile home that may be worth between ten and $30,000. You can't move it. You're maybe paying $500 to park that there. You don't have enough money. So what are you going to do? 
In this county, the fastest growing homeless population is individuals over 62 years old. Now, I just gave you one example. But when you start talking about administration that's not trying to do anything about escalating insurance prices, I mean, and I stand we're a capitalist nation and a capitalist state, but this is a problem. And why someone would want somebody in office to represent them that's not trying to at least address the problem is, is beyond pitiful. Now, what about locally? Uh, what do you find? You're, you're out and about. You're talking to people all the time. You want support for your organization. Are, are you encountering apathy or what, how, how does Tampa fit into all of this? I do think that we have apathy and I really think we have a real strong case of it in the African-American community. And I'm not going to quote you the percentages, but it is not only ridiculous, it's ridiculous the amount of people who do not vote. And it's, I mean, you know, what we're trying to do is help people formulate what are the issues they need to be concerned about. And one of them is, is that, you know, voting rights issues for women, excuse me, or voting issues for women is important. On December the 2nd at 2 p.m., we're going to have a panel. And hopefully we have people show up who don't know what, they, what their issues are. I mean, I know the panel will know what their issues are, but we're trying to get people who don't. And, you know, the people who've called in on this show, I would ask that you come to this and either validate theirs for yours or invalidate theirs for yours. Tell us more about that event, when and where, and uh, well, who's going to be on the panel? Well, the Urban League, every quarter, what we're going to do is have a voting issue. And this, for December, uh, we're going to have Darla Otea. She's the president of Girls, Inc. Erin uh, Abel, she's the shareholder at Trenum Law. And Kathy Times, she's an entrepreneur and a journalist. And if you look at them, they're kind of diverse, not only racially, but married, single, with children, without children. And they're going to speak to their issues that are driving them to, to, to the polls. And I think the best way to do it is just have regular people talk about it. And then they'll, they'll, they'll each give like a, a talk, three to five minutes of introduction, and then they'll take questions. It'll last about an hour. And, and after that, we're going to do one for senior citizens. And then we're going to do one for men. Because I'm a firm believer that if you know what your issues are, you know, it'll, it'll help drive you to the, to the polls. Well, getting engaged in, in politics can really have an effect. We saw that at the city council meeting where they were talking about this proposal to limit alcohol sales only in Ybor City. And just that one little part of the city. And they had so many people who stood up opposing it that they backed down and did not do that. Is that the kind of activism you'd also like to say? I believe that you should... If you're willing to believe something, you should be willing to say something, pure, plain, simple. Yeah. And, and my only issue is, is that when people hide behind emotion as opposed to, like, facts, I can disagree with you to the nth degree. I have, I have no problem with that. But when you're just giving me emotion, that doesn't work. Our guest today is Stanley Gray, President and CEO of the Urban League of Hillsborough County. If you have a question for Stanley, you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can call at 813-239-9663. We have an email from um, Bubba, also a, a regular listener um, and emailer, question poser. He says, Stanley's a great guest. I am curious about his take on DeSantis's very restrictive immigration law. I am worried about how it will affect Florida's economy. Any thoughts on that, Stanley? From my heart, I'm not speaking from the Urban League. I'm speaking as an individual. I think it's hypocritical. And the reason why I say it's hypocritical is, is he's, he's put out all this stuff that, that what they're going to stop doing. But if you're really serious, why don't you go to the work sites? Why don't you start, you know, right, enforcing your immigration policy there? As soon as somebody... As soon as like people start complaining that you're going to hinder us in our building and making profitability, this administration has backed away. That's a fact. 
That's not my opinion. That's not my feelings. That's a fact. And I just think that this big talk in immigration is nothing more than sound bites. And I know that somebody from his office is listening to it, okay? And that's another reason why the Urban League will not be totally dependent upon government grants from this, <laughs> from, the, from this state. Because he's a very retributive man. I know that. But I think that all that he's doing is sound bites thrown in for president. And if they were really serious about it, you know, we could... We could go around and we would get rid of the illegal aliens that work it in, in this community. By targeting the employers who are hiring them. That's that, correct. That and let me point? tell you why. Because I, they usually will arrest let, illegal aliens who are working at a poultry let, processing plant let or something. Let me tell you but, why I know a little bit about this. I used to be the head HR guy in a plant in Arizona. We had 3,000 employees. And what we did was that what, what, the, what the state wanted us to do was to, to verify that the paperwork was authentic. They had some good fake documents. So what we did is we brought the state in and said, that's your job, not private citizens. You, you can set up an office here. You can do it. Help us be right. And said, now we're working with the government. But what I'm seeing now is, is it just the opposite? We want, the government wants us to fix their problem. And, and that's just not right. Talk a little bit about how you went from being, um, you know, uh, involved in the Republican Party to no party affiliation. What was the transition? You was know, there a really particular moment that it hit you? Well, the, the, the particular moment was when, was, was when Trump was elected. Okay, when he was uh, a, a viable candidate. That's when I said I can no longer be a part of this. Oh, early on. <laughs> oh, oh, very early on. Very, matter of fact, I don't know whether you remember, when I ran for school board, I lost the support of the Republican Party because I said I would not support him. And I would not support him. And I will tell huh. you wow. where my ideal came from a Republican. When I was growing up, I had the opportunity to work for Senator Barry Goldwater. And I will tell you right now, and I had conversations with him when he was still alive, that said, sir, I don't agree with that. But as a man, a principal, and character... I do agree with him. I will tell you right now that what's going on in the Republican Party would not sit well with him. And, and people say, well, he was this, that, and the other. And I said, go read his book, Conscience of a Conservative. I'll also tell you that I worked for him for two summers and never once was I placated or, or, or shown about. Never once. And I know that he cared about me personally because he sat down, he would send me to hearings, tell me what I, what I saw, and then he would tell me what really happened. <laughs> and, and that's my ideal of somebody who... I don't necessarily agree with, but I have respect for. I do not have respect for the record as a person, Donald Trump. I do not. Yeah, you would not be uh, surviving in the Republican Party uh, right now with that attitude. No. Yeah. And why not just, wh and why did you choose no party affiliation as opposed to Democrat? Because I'm mad at everybody. Okay? <laughs> I don't think the Democratic Party has been proactive enough as they should be. And, and, and I'm still f fairly fiscally conservative. I mean, even if you see how we run our funds for the Urban League, it's very conservative. It's not dependent on handout. We're a hand-up organization, so therefore we, we, we practice that in the way we do business. And how can people, you, you said that you're um, struggling to find people to fill the slots, so you're eager to reach out, find people. How do people reach out to you? How do they contact well, the Urban League? Well, we use social media, and like we send regular notices to, 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 to people who claim to be, and I'm not being facetious, but people who claim to be community leaders, uh, pastors, that's what we do. And, you know, we're just going to keep going at it and, and going at it till people really realize that we're, that we're serious. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I can name all kinds of people who complain about us. And my first complaint is, how many people have you referred? Okay. I mean, we even have one person who's made some major complaints about us. 
and they sent, you know, one of their relatives and I broke my rules. I didn't do it Saturday. I did it when it was convenient for them. Said, these are the things that you need. X, Y, Z. Please come back. Boom, boom, boom. Never heard from them. Which makes me believe that I should keep to my Saturday, 8 to 9 o'clock. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good that's a good way to do it. It makes sense. You want somebody who's going to be eager and is willing to, you know, get up in the morning have, <laughs> on a Saturday employer. morning to get a job. We have we have an employer. Or to better but, themselves. That's the point. What yeah. You want someone committed to bettering themselves. And it's paid. So it's yeah. a paid internship. We have a sponsor. Who will hire anybody we send him? This sponsor measures himself by how many of his employees buy houses. Think about that. He's not trying to pay minimum wage. He's trying to pay a living wage. But he also, we have a very set protocol and criteria. And he knows that I'm not going to throw sand on the wall. So anybody I send him, he will hire. We started off talking about the police forum in Ybor City, and you asked a question at that meeting that was about guns. Um, and you talked about the proliferation of guns. What, what, do, what do you think needs to happen when it comes to guns? Because the police chief mentioned during um, that meeting that more than 200 guns have been stolen from people's cars just so far this year, which suggests a lack of responsibility among gun owners. Uh, as I mentioned, I grew up in a military family. My dad would never have let us use guns unless we took, you know, a gun safety course and learned how to use it. What, what do you think needs to be done regarding guns? Because we had two 14-year-olds found in Ybor City that night with guns on them. I would be a hypocrite if I didn't say I believe in responsible gun ownership for the obvious. But, okay? but you're, you're modifying that by saying responsible. No, I'm just saying that's what we need to have, responsible gun ownership. Okay, responsible gun owners don't leave uh, a weapon unattended. Responsible gun owners don't leave an unlocked car that's accessible to one's mm -hmm. weapons. That's responsible, okay? And that's, and that's also accountable. Now, my point of it is, again, some people would say, well, you're just trying to be retributive. No. If someone steals your weapon from your car and that car is unlocked, why should you not be held accountable? If there's a crime, if, if there's a crime committed, right? If well, there's a crime committed, why shouldn't you be held accountable? You know, in the military, you, you bring this up. These have this thing called line of duty misconduct investigations, and so what it came down to: what would a reasonable person do under reasonable conditions? Would I not expect for if you if I stole your a weapon out of your car that was unlocked? Would I not expect that one of the outcomes would be for me to use it in an illegal crime? I think that's a. I think that's an assumption. Mm -hmm. So why should I not be held accountable for that? Well, I know the the fourteen year old who was killed, who who was found with the weapon. I believe I read that that gun had been stolen as well. Um, so um, gun thefts are a major problem. I, I guess one argument against holding gun owners responsible is they just won't report it when it happens, because if they, if they know that they're going to, well, be they would have to report it because if somebody. You know, I guess they're they're not good records of who owns the gun. Do they know no, who owns knows. the gun? No, That's the problem. We don't keep track of guns. <laughs> we don't keep track of that. There's not a simple solution. I <laughs> right. mean, there, there's not a simple solution. And again, I'm not trying to just like say, well, everything goes back to accountability. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm just saying, you know, like if someone does something that's irreasonable, why shouldn't they be held accountable? And I'm going to give you a good example, okay? And I know that this is mean. A lot of people don't want to hear about this, okay? But Nick Hogan, a couple years ago, was involved in a car accident underage, 17 years old, parents weren't held accountable, okay? He does eight months in a jail. Eight months in jail is, is still a hard time, but it's not a prison, right? okay? 
I mean, and now he's an adult and he does the same thing. But my point is, is why, why wouldn't his parents be held accountable? Whose car was it? Who insured the car? We have gotten away from accountability as a nation and as a society. We've gotten away from it. And this is helping our downward spiral, in my opinion. Another point that was made during the Ybor City Forum was that some of the parking lots and privately owned parking lots in, in Ybor City are not supervised. And so kids who can't get into clubs because they're too young are parking in those parking lots and partying from there. And they're not being held responsible. Do you think that is something that the city council should be looking at? Well, you know, maybe they should. And I'm going to give you an example, okay? I'm not giving you a hard yes or a hard no. But if you know when you used to go from here on Gandhi to St. Pete, you remember Have Not Beach, the Redneck Riviera over there? That used to be party central. Guess what? Not anymore. Because they put bollards down and you can't get there anymore. But that was the last step. That was. But before that, they started enforcing the hours that it was closed. They had a police presence. And then it went to that. And, I, I'm, you know, I hate to sound so restrictive, but if you have a problem, you got to deal with the problem. Um, we've got a love letter to Stanley that I want to read. We've got an email from Jeff who says, Stanley Gray is a saint as a person and a leader. I wish that he might consider leading Hillsborough County one day. Actually, he already is leading us. Thank you for having Mr. Gray as your guest. Um, back to what you were, you were talking about, about holding people accountable, that if you leave your gun in your car, I mean, guns, it's a whole other issue because guns are so loosely regulated. But if you leave your gun in a car and it gets stolen and is used in a crime, you are held accountable. Or if your kids are out and involved in a crime, the parents are held accountable. Don't we do that with alcohol sales? Like you, that the people can be held accountable if somebody, uh, if they're overserved, or they can be held accountable yep. if you have a party and they leave your party. I thought that that was is something that happens out there in the world. It's well, not it's, unprecedented that you actually hold yeah. people accountable for their behavior that results in harm to other people. I'm just saying, let's quit with the carve outs and let's be consistent. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Not just in Ebor, right? Exactly. Let's be consistent. Let's don't Correct. let's quit these carve outs. Let's got um, we've got um, DeAndre um, um, on the line. DeAndre, um, you are on the line. What's on your mind? Yes, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, that area, I want to say, the downtown Ebor area has long had a history of drug activity. Um, it has implode, and more recently, I, I would say that the drugs that uh, with land people in incarceration the most uh, is now pretty much legal. And I know there are things that attract people to e-boys, music, uh, companionship, and all that sort of stuff. But also, there's unfortunately a matter of, like, you know, fast money, entrepreneurship, and sometimes the worst kind. Is there any idea on benefiting youth for that, like, Bad money and uh, timely, you know, uh, employment that would help extract them from being attracted to such an area. Because I feel like that might be kind of key. I don't know if you guys cover that. I missed a lot of this show. I'm glad that it's being uh, aired. I'm glad uh, for the panel. 
Uh, and uh, thank you guys so much. I'll take my answer off here. But before you leave, DeAndre, I just want you to know you can listen to this show anytime, uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Just look for w- search for WMNF Wavemakers, yeah. and you could listen to this again. But Stanley, you have a uh, comment. You know, it's I, I'm really glad that you made this comment, sir, because it really goes back to somebody who wants to fix themselves. And I'm going to give you. I'm old now, so I'm full of stories. Probably about three or four months ago, I had this air conditioner guy to come to do to, to service our air conditioners, and um, you know, I was talking to him, and I said, well, where'd you get your training? And he got real quiet. And I said, I'm not judging you, brother. I just want to know where you got your training. Well, he was in prison, and he was incarcerated. And I'm talking about prison, not county jail. And his employer gets all of his employees from this jail, from, from the prison system. And I, and I said, so and then he explained how he went to the training program there, and then how the employer kind of helped him transition I mean, this guy did wraparound services, this employer. And then we, so then he got kind of comfortable with me because, you know, we had to go to all the air conditions, the house and everything. And he said, you know, he says, I would have blankety blank fool. I'm making more money now than I ever did when I was slinging. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. And I'm just saying if somebody's willing, you know, like the kid that I just told you gave he's making 50 something thousand dollars. If he sticks with it within two years, he'll be making six figures. There are opportunities, but, you know, you got to be willing to sacrifice and you can't live in two worlds. And that was one of the things that the guy working on the air conditioning, he said, I had to learn to leave certain things behind me. Mm-hmm. And are you, are you working with employers to try to convince them to do that kind of thing? Sir, we have employers. Our biggest problem right now is the having takers, yeah, the, the takers. The, the fill the you know, slots, that's yeah. The, that's the biggest, you know, because it's, it's kind of like when, when, when I used to be a civilian, an HR guy, when I wanted management to hire somebody, I didn't want to be judged on that person's uh, work that they were hired to do. I wanted to be judged on how well are they do in the organization. Oh, they yeah. matriculate up. And that's the philosophy that I try to bring to our clients. Yeah. And so if somebody knows someone who they think might fit into this program, how can they reach out to you and, and suggest someone? Info at ULHC.org or just, you know, contact, you know, uh, 813-404-6172, and we'll get back with you within within a day. Go to the Urban League website for all the contact information, Urban League of Hillsborough County. www.ulhc.org. Again, www.ulhc.org. And a reminder for our listeners about the... And on, uh, December, on December the 2nd, we're going to have uh, uh, issues for women uh, at... At uh, St. James at the Encore, 1202 North Governor Street at 2 p.m. And on December the 9th, we're going to have another panel, and it's going to be titled Do Something. And it's really designed for the kids who don't really know what they were going to do. And one of the highlights, real quick, is is a person was a jet air mechanic, and now they're an orthopedic surgeon. Mm. Wow. Another person rode the the bus two hours to community college, and now they're a partner in a major law firm. Stanley, thank you for being here. You're an inspiration. Thank you um, to John for running the board, DJ Spaceship for taking our phones. This is WMNF Tampa. Up next, NPR News. Oh, no, not NPR News. Alternative Radio.